welcome back to the Inspectigators. This is Rory. This is Grok. And this is the first episode of our new Supernatural season. Woot woot. All right. So we're going to start off with, to start off the Supernatural season, uh, is the first public UFO abduction report. So do you want to just start and hop right into it? Yeah, why not? Okay. So this episode will be about Barney and Betty Hill, uh, and it was about the first public UFO abduction report. 1961, there was a couple in New Hampshire who claimed to have been abducted by aliens on a long drive. Betty and Barney Hill were an interracial couple, which was fairly uncommon in this era in the 60s, who were driving back to Portsmouth from a vacation spot in Niagara Falls. They were expected to arrive home around 2 to 3 a.m. after stopping at a like a motel stop or like a diner, and they um, wanted to get home as fast as they could because they were a little low on gas. And so, in an area south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, Betty claims to see a shooting star, but it seems like the shooting star was moving upward and in specific directions from different stars. Uh, she urged Barney to pull the car over to get a better look, so he complies, and uh, he, so Barney's a very smart man. Looking back at it, it's reported that he had an IQ of 140. How did they know this? They must have had IQ tests or whatever, but from some of the sources I've read, they mention his IQ because he worked in um, some of the, like document offices like a lot of like you know technical work and he was fairly smart and so he was speculating it was just a plane it was probably just someone you know flying around in the middle of the night probably one of the late night flights oh yes i too <laughs> love to take my plane out for a little spin through the sky <laughs> we made shapes yes they made shapes in the middle of the night and he realized pretty quickly what was wrong when it started to descend towards them they noticed it was coming closer and it was fairly far away like it seems like a plane so obviously it's much higher up than normal and so um, they get back in the car and they start to follow where the, um, the UFO is descending. And they get past this, this stop where it gets to even descend even lower. And uh, they manage to get to a point where it's about 100 feet above them. And Barney gets out of the car and leaves Betty in the car and goes out. He sticks his hand pistol into his pocket and uh, grabs his binoculars and walks out of the car and looks up to the UFO. And he describes it as circular and round, around 60 feet long at minimum, with gray beings within it in black suits. Not like suits, like our suits, but like just black suits. Mm-hmm. Um, he likens it to a pancake in later reports. Um, as he came closer, he um, obviously is using his binoculars, and I'm just reading this from uh, different sources from how he describes it. And he says he felt a feeling of that he should not look away and that he needs to stay where he is. And obviously that's very alarming if you're a human and experiencing that. So he gets terrified, runs back to the car. Basically him and Betty gun it, start driving extremely fast. As they're driving, he tells Betty to look out the window. And so she looks out the window and they both hear a buzzing and a humming noise. They basically lose consciousness and uh, hear the buzzing noise again and basically wake up two to three hours later with no recollection of the past 35 miles. 35 miles? miles? So they were still driving? They were driving They were driving for 35 miles and have hazy to little to no recollection of it. But didn't they also say that they were running out of gas? Oh, yeah. No, they, they, had en- they knew they had enough gas to get home, but they just needed to get home as fast as possible. So it's like one of those things where it's like, yes, we have enough gas to get home. But a car in the 60s... It actually says what kind of car they had. Let me just double check what kind of car they had. Because, like, those cars didn't get good gas mileage. Oh, no. They were terrible. They were gas eaters. They had a 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air. It was a two-door hardtop. Is distinctive for its flat shape. Like, it's very 
flat car. You know what I mean? It's very rectangular. Yes, it's very a pretty rectangular. car. It is. But at the same time, that's that sounds funky. Like they they're like, oh, we only have enough gas to get home, and then two to three hours later, if they've driven thirty, also two to three hours and thirty five miles. They're going like yeah. Basically, not fast. a lot of the time and the the time gap and how much they've traveled doesn't match up. This time can be the time is speculated because there's no exact time they they can actually like pin. Like they can they remember the time they were there, but the time that they got back, it's like it's very hazy. And so obviously you can pin an exact time, but they they tend to report that they felt like it was much longer, much shorter. You know, mm-hmm. as one does when abducted by aliens. Oh, of course. Um, and the car will come into like be important later too. And so they travel back home and they arrive home and ex- are experiencing weird sensations and feelings. Basically, Betty keeps on s- insisting on keeping their l- luggage at the back door. Both felt dirty and examined themselves and showered like a long, long, deep shower. And their watches that they wore that day never worked again. Then one more, uh, couple more things is that their clothes had scrapes and tears in places previously not there. Like on uh, Barney's shoes, it was reported he has scrapes and um, like scuffs that were definitely not there before he that rec- that incident happens. And Betty's dress had tears on the collar, the hemline, and some areas of the waist area. Mm-hmm. Two other things also were weird that weren't related to them directly, but there was... When Betty, the next morning, tried on the outfit, the dress from last night, she reported that there was a pink dust, a pink powder on her dress. And when she put it up on a clothesline, she said the pink dust flew away in the wind. Her dress has also been examined by multiple forensic labs, but there was no really conclusive reports if it happened or not. So back to the car that I said would be a little bit more important. Uh, There were shiny, concentric circles on the back of their car that caused compasses to spin rapidly when placed close to them and then would stop acting weird once they got them farther away from those circles. So, I don't know. That's funky. Very funky. Uh, So there's a lot of aftermath to this whole event. Obviously, it was a pretty big event, especially since they kind of went uh, to almost kind of like the government So, to continue on, Betty contacted the Pease Air Force Base, which was an Air Force base in New Hampshire, and not wanting to be labeled um, as, you know, eccentric or, you know, like, crazy, she withheld a lot of info, but she also talked to them about it, and they classified their experiences as misidentifying Jupiter, because Jupiter looks like a star in the sky, so they claimed that she and him were uh, sleep-deprived and experienced kind of uh, sleep-deprived hallucinations. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they basically classified it firstly as, and there were some other classifications, but they're more technical. And so they also opened their reports to other uh, organizations, and one of them that picked them up was Walter N. Webb from uh, NICAP, who was an NSCPIM member, who wanted to interview them. Basically, I'm pretty sure they felt more comfortable with him because they told him everything that they experienced. And as they talked more, Barney was talking about how he had created, he felt like he had created a mental block around the experience. And he wasn't sure if it was from him or from what happened during the experience. And um, it was recommended for them to get hypnotic therapy to Mm -hmm. see if they could open up those uh, memory, you know, those memory issues and all that stuff. Ah, yes. Using a watch to (laughs) hypnotize them. Tell me about the gray aliens. (laughs) Tell me about them aliens. So Barney and Betty go and have the hypnosis done. And obviously that like there's a whole thing behind that. But also I'm going to stop right here and talk about Betty a little bit more. Because Betty had intense and vivid dreams that started 10 days after the incident. And this is important because her dreams basically outline what happened 
in the incident. So, 10 days after the alleged UFO encounter, Betty began to have very like a series of vivid dreams. Um, they happened for about five nights in a row. Her memories, she basically recalled her memories in these dreams with intense detail and intensity. And then after those five nights, they stopped and never returned. Basically, they just completely, nothing else ever happened with her dreams. So during those five days, they occupied her thoughts constantly. I mean, if you're having very vivid dreams, obviously it's going to be pretty alarming, especially after such a intense experience. And so um, she did mention them to Barney, but he kind of dismissed it because the matter was dropped, basically. She began to write down the details of her dream in November of 1961. So I'm going to paraphrase what the details of her dreams were. So in her dreams, she and Barney encountered a roadblock and men surrounded their car. She lost consciousness and then tried to regain it. She realized she was being forced by two small men and to basically walk into the forest that surrounded the car in nighttime. I saw that Barney was walking behind her and seemed like in a trance and had not, wasn't in this conscious state of mind. In their dreams, Betty and Barney were taken into the pancake dish shaped UFO. That was a mouthful. They were examined. So they were separated for the exam and they were basically, she, it reencounts her experience of being examined by these men or these so-called men. So for the exam, uh, she talked to the examiner. The examiner seemed to have a decent grasp of the human language, even though the language seemed imperfect, imperfect and had difficulty understanding him. Wait, so she, these are aliens? Mm-hmm. But she keeps calling them men? Yes. Which, I know, threw me off at first when I was researching this. I was a little confused as to why she switched between aliens and men a lot. But I'm just assuming it's for understandability, maybe. So, he sat her on a chair, and the examiners and the, the aliens basically cut off a part of her hair, examined all of her, like, outer, like, orifices, like her eyes, her ears, her mouth, teeth, throat, hands, all that, all that stuff. He saved trimmings from her fingernails, uh, examined her legs and feet. He used a dull knife similar to a letter opener to scrape some of her skin onto what resembles cellophane. Then they tested her nervous system and um, put a needle into her navel, so her belly button, which caused her agonizing pain, like a lot of pain. But then the leader waved his hand and the pain vanished in her dream. So it gets a little weirder. They engage in conversation and she picks up a book with a lot of strange symbols that the person who she talked to English in said she could keep and take home with her. And he also pulls down an instructional map dotted with stars about where they came from. In her dream, they begin escorting them from the ship and a disagreement broke out from the leader and the men who examined them. Basically, the leader told Betty that she could not take the book with her as they didn't want, want them to have a recollection of this event. And then in her dream, Betty says she will remember this no matter what. So apparently if it's true, then she did. Good for her. <laughs> okay, but the fact that that one alien just had an instructional map handy, he's like, look, history lesson time. This is where we come from. How often do you think they do this? They're picking up enough people that they're like, Bob, we gotta make a map. Like, trying to explain to them with just hand gestures isn't working. And yeah. Bob's like, yeah, okay, Robert. Let's he go, has, let's like, the Duolingo app for English on his, like, little intergalactic phone. He's like, dude, dude, I learned English. We can go to Earth now. He's got, like, Google Translate open. <laughs> yes. So that was basically... Betty's dream and how that all happened and she was dismissed by a lot of people until people started to read her diary and how that happened. Okay, moving on. So we're just going to talk about Little Boy in the Missing Time. You know how I talked about earlier how it's very hazy? I mean, mm -hmm. there is a set time, but for the experiences of Betty and Barney, it's very, very hazy and not 
concrete on how the time worked. So they arrived home later than anticipated. The drive should have taken four hours, 178 miles. They claimed to not have realized that they arrived home seven hours after their departure from Cobra. The couple had no explanation for the missing time, and they recall almost none of the 35-mile drive of what they forgot, what I talked about earlier. And they also both seem to have a recollection of a fiery orb sitting on the ground, which doesn't seem to connect to the rest of Betty's or Barney's story of the gray aliens, which is very interesting. They reasoned that it must have been the moon, but the moon had set earlier in the evening. So, as I talked about earlier, I kind of, before I stopped to talk about Betty's dream. Yeah, because they were scheduled to arrive home around 2 to 3 a.m. The moon is still up in the sky by then. Bro, I don't know, man. Maybe in the 70s, the moon didn't exist. 60s, I mean. (laughs) The moon, moon, that's how we know the moon landing was fake, was because it didn't exist. The moon didn't exist. The aliens brought it with them when they came to say hi. There you go. Yeah, that little fiery orb. They're like, this is the little seed we're going to plant in your little orbit that will grow into a full-size moon by the 90s. One of those just add water. Just add water. Just add water and you'll have your own personal moon. Wow. Ocean tides didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. The way ocean tides <laughs> worked was the fish moving around made the yeah. ocean tides. And once we got our own little grow, your own little moon, then we got actual waves. And the of fish course. were like, oh, our job's over. Yeah. The, the fish were like, man, I can see The fish now. work for the aliens. The birds work for the bourgeoisie. What next? The rats work for the working class? Yes. This alien encounter and abduction gained a lot of traction with uh, a lot of people, and Betty and Barney always seemed fine with talking about it. There never seemed to be any, you know, like, emotional, like, disconnect or, like, uh, traumatic... I mean, obviously there was some traumatic stuff, but they never seemed like they were, like... The only time they actually seemed, um, like, to be having um, anxiety or issues around it was when they went into hypnosis. And so, and it was mainly based around Barney. Barney seemed to have this really intense mental block based around the, his memories. And whenever he was questioned about it during hypnosis, he would get really, really anxious and almost almost seemed like on the verge of a breakdown. And so I don't know how that correlates with Betty or like if they were examined differently or different things happened to them on that spaceship, you know, if this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, because lack of sleep can do crazy things to people. That's true. And that's one of the theories about this all is that Sleep deprivation can get to you real bad. So continuing on, let's talk more about the hip, the hypnosis session. Barney's sessions, he does, like Betty, uh, recall witnessing non-human fig- figures, and he had punctuated expressions of fear, emotional outbursts, and incredulity, because I can speak English. When questioned during hypnosis, stated that he kept his eyes closed for much of the abduction and physical examination. And so he doesn't have a lot of details to talk about because... His eyes were closed, which I guess... Homie, why would you not look? I don't know. Fear has different reactions to different people, but that also is a kind of a convenient cover-up if you don't have any details and you don't match up with your wife's account Exactly. And generally, if you're scared, your fight-or-flight kicks in, so you're, like, extra aware of your surroundings, so you're not going to be like, oh, I couldn't close my eyes. Yeah. I mean, there's also that extra one where it's freeze. It could have been that. Because it's it's like flight, fight, and freeze, because... I mean, yeah, but still, with your eyes closed, that makes then it scarier. you can't see what's coming. Yeah, I, I don't know, but that's what was stated and what the multiple articles have said. Wait, wait, wait. oh, sorry, this is a little funny. He, he uh, has a quote, cause, and it says, Barney remembered a light appearing on the road, and he said, oh no, not again. 
implying this has happened before? That's what I said. I'm like, how many times have these poor people been abducted then? Like, is our aliens just like, oh yeah, it's that couple. We're going to mess with them. Barney's like, we got to stop driving at night. <laughs> they were finally sloppy enough that they were like, oh my gosh, guys, something happened. Like the rest of the times they're just like, oh yeah, this is fine. So Betty's session was, her account was basically similar to the events of her five dreams. And there were notable, notable differences, mainly pertaining to her capture and release. The technology was different, the short men had significant different physical appearances from her dream, and the sequential order of the abduction was also different from her dream account. Their hypnotic regression was consistent with one another, but contradicted some of the information in Betty's dream. So it almost makes me wonder, did the aliens implant fake dreams in Betty? Why leave anything at all? For fun. For funsies. <laughs> the aliens are like, oh, oh we just got This is just up. their version of a reality show. It's called um, Human Pickup. It's like just... when you put a sock on a cat's head and they're like, oh, and then you're like, ha, 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 ha. Do you often put socks on cat's heads? No, I just like place it on my oh, head. Oh, like oh, I'm not putting a show. whole sock on my cat's <laughs> head. Your cat. No, I'm just placing like a little sock, like, like a little not hat. into his head, like, like a little hat. Yeah. And then he like backs out of it and you're just like, <laughs> is that like when the people throw cheese at the animals? Yeah. Except not violently. I just gently place a sock on their head. The aliens are very gently placing socks on their heads. They're like, <laughs> losers. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my theory. That's my number one theory right there. Okay, so let's get into theories and... No, no, no wait. It's called Rock'em Sock'em Humans. Rock'em Sock'em Oh, did... Okay, this is something that was very interesting that did cause a lot of controversy was the star map that Betty remembered from her dreams. Don't tell me she remembers it in so much detail she can draw it. It's right there. I have a little picture pulled up right now of the star map, and it was interpreted by many people. The only issue is, is that even though she was given like names and like stuff like about that, we don't have any idea of what star is which. Exactly, because it's all in another language; they all have different meanings. Yeah, and so basically, they assume that one of the fifteen stars in the map must represent Earth's sun. So they constructed a three-dimensional model of the nearby sun-like stars using a thread and bead-based stellar distances, and they seem to have matched with the viewpoint of a double star system of the Zeta Reticuli. Basically, a bunch of people analyzed it, and nothing's actually for sure because we don't have any substance to which stars are which stars, and there's nothing that can be done about that, but a lot of people have speculated on it and where the aliens could be. But I mean, we can't reach the aliens. We don't have that ton of technology, you know? So it's not much we could do about it even if we did figure it out. It's just us yelling at the sky going, hey, It's just little radio waves like, come back! Teach us about your stars! Yeah. Give us your technology. Your pancake technology. Oh, that's scary. She's showing me a picture from the Wikipedia page of um, an alien played by John Hoyt. On the television show, 12 Days Before the Making of Their Hypnosis Day. That's one of the uh, refu- the refutations, so like one of the, you know, theories against it, was that a lot of this details that comes from the story match up with like a show that aired a couple days before this all happened. Before they claimed to be abducted or before they came forward and... Abducted. Oh. Yeah. So this show... That basically, a lot of psychiatrists psychiatrists later suggest that the supposed abduction was a hallucination brought on by the stress of being an interracial couple in the early 1960s. Even though that doesn't have much standing when you know analyzing the relationship, because they were very happy, there didn't seem to be much tension between their families, and there didn't seem to be much issues. 
within their community. So even though that might have been an issue for other couples within the 1960s, it's kind of disproved that they that that was a source of like a big source of stress for them, you know. Uh-huh. So uh, in the 1990s, they suggested that Barney's memories might have been influenced by an episode of science fiction television television show, The Outer Limits, titled The Bellero Shield, which was broadcasted about two weeks before Barney's first hypnotic session. The episode featured an extraterrestrial with large eyes who said, in all universes, in all the unities, beyond the universes, all who have eyes have eyes that speak. I don't know how to paraphrase this because it's a very weird way to put it. Basically, during the hypnosis session, he describes wraparound eyes, which means that the aliens are able to see with other beings' eyes by having eyes behind eyes, which is a really weird way to put it, but there's only one instance of that in science fiction, and it was that episode that aired two weeks before his hypnotic session. So a lot of people think this was just a hallucination caused either by sleep deprivation, stress, some form of uh, psychosis, you know, not psychosis, but issues, I don't know really. A lot of it is a lot of just speculation because this is alien abduction and that's what alien abductions are, is a lot of speculation because so far we don't have any concrete evidence. But that's a lot of the, uh, you know, disapproval for Barney's side of um, his hypnosis session. That was the main theory behind it. Aurora, do you have any other theories? I partially think they're both kind of full of BS. A little bit. But pointing out that their whole supposed interaction with aliens also kind of follows the plotline of the TV show that aired two weeks beforehand. Yeah. That's sketchy. It is a little sketchy. And also the fact with all the inconsistencies regarding, oh, we only drove 35 miles in three hours and we had to go 178 miles home and the moon was already set at 2 a.m. Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's just a lot of time inconsistencies and a lot of inconsistencies with their, like, her dreams and his the recollection of hypnosis. Because, I mean, hypnosis isn't scientifically sound. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's just guesswork and people giving them what they think they should be giving, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be very helpful, and I, I'm not saying it's completely false or, like, junk or whatever, but there's no way to know it's completely true. Exactly. Especially when you want to find an answer. And that's, it can be hard, like, especially for that kind of stuff. Like, don't get me wrong, I think aliens exist, there's no way that we are the only living thing in the entire universe. But I think this case is BS. I think that they were sleep deprived, mm-hmm. and that, like, I have gone two to three days without sleep before, Mm -hmm. you think of some weird stuff, you will start hallucinating by day two. Can't confirm has happened. Fun. Like, stuff happens, and I certainly think that they were just super sleep deprived. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a case of, like, mass... Hysteria? Hysteria is not the right word. There's a word for it that I can't think of. Like, a mass hallucination, but... There's only two of them. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm like, there's two. <laughs> it could be. Did you hear about the case of the people in France who were, like, convinced that, was it, like, fairies would come and sprinkle dust in their shoes at night when they were sleeping? I've heard of that, but I haven't looked into it. There's a word for it that I don't remember, but it's this idea that the people that we're closest to or that we live to oh, can yes. feed off of these fears and make them grow into something that mm-hmm. they're not. Yeah, there's, like, a mental illness, especially, like, that's prominent within, like, uh, siblings or people who are really close, like, family members or, like, people in romantic relationships can basically give each other mental illnesses because of the closeness between the two and there's, like, you know, 
there's that there's this whole thing look it up if you want to know more about it. It, it there's a really interesting case about that in like uh late to early medieval france i think or like where there's these two serving girls and yeah really crazy stuff but yeah people can feed off each other face wise off that kind of stuff so it's a little little funky oh funky uh folie de. yeah that's what it's called but like where you like feed off each other and it becomes the fault of two yeah i'm pretty sure not i don't think that's a direct transition but that's just what i said in my head yeah she she knows the french sort of <laughs> she sort of knows the french <laughs> um but yeah the case is actually really interesting so definitely look it up if you get the chance but I kind of think this is a case of that. Yeah, it's, it's that, that feed off of each other and sleeping, too, driving too late at night and hypnosis. Yeah, a lot of just, and who knows, maybe they were abducted and got, maybe they have some cool new powers. Maybe it's like Iron Man. You could have abducted by aliens and now you're Iron Man. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So, welcome to Minnesota. <clears throat> uh, we got aliens and... Uh, we have lots and lots of, uh, you know, Canada has maple syrup. What, do, what does Minnesota have? Roots. Have like... Meese. They have meese. They have meese. And meese. like... I love meeses. Meeses are great. <laughs> okay, so that's all. Uh, there's a lot more details to the story. Uh, like, not a lot more, but there's some, you know, random ones that didn't really make a cut for me just because I didn't feel like they were as important. Just some, like, you know, things like with hypnosis, just the details of like, oh, what what exactly happened with the men. So if you want to know more about that, I definitely do your own research if you want to know more. And because, you know, your own research is always the best research. So I'd recommend looking more up on it. And we're glad you listened to the podcast. And don't eat raw cabbages. Why not? No, no, don't drink cactus juice. Don't drink cactus juice or you will end up like Sokka from After the Last Airbender <laughs> and you will hallucinate being picked up by aliens. My cabbages! My cabbages. Okay, how do you end these things? So, I think that's all we have for you today. This is Roy signing off. This is Grok signing off. Hasta la pasta! Mm-hmm.